Welcome back to the Crime of the Century podcast. Today I'm going to be talking to you about something very near and dear to my heart, multiculturalism. No, I'm not a big proponent of it. In fact, I find that part of what I believe and the fact that we're losing an entire generation has a lot to do with this theory. And now it did come out of the blue, so today I want to explain where this comes from, explain why it exists, and explain how it's rotting us from the inside. We may lose the war with having never fired a shot. Come on back in segment one, we'll explain exactly how this ideology came to be. Welcome to the Crime of the Century podcast. I believe that we're losing an entire generation just based off of what we're teaching our students. And see, this is why it's the crime of the century. I'm going to really focus on this today because though the financial part about how most of us are going broke attempting to pay for this is important, if we're going to lose successive generations, aren't we going to lose our country? See, but to go forward, to understand the problem and the crimes that we face, crimes against us, we have to go all the way back to 1750. Now, I'll brush up for those who don't, I'll brush you up for those who don't remember their high school history courses. It was quite different, the world in 1750. France held from the top of Canada all the way down to the bayou. Mostly consisted of swamps, forests, what we think of when we think of Louisiana, what we think of when we think of Ohio. It was picturesque. Now, over in in France, especially in Paris, along the chateaus with the rolling hills and the mists that would often roll off of these hills in the morning, in one of these chateaus, a man by the name of Denis Diderot penned what would be known as the Noble Savage. And in this idea, he said that the the people, what were, were, were referred to as the savages by the common folk of Europe at the time, those who wore loincloths and threw sticks and poison-tipped spears at their relatives, those ideas that these savages had were considered noble by this man, Dennis Diderot. And the fact that he felt that these people were closer to God than the Europeans, that European society was inherently evil, and that we risked corrupting the goodness of these quote-unquote savages. And this article sparked fierce debate across the academic channels of his day. Not that it was unpopular, but the fact that it had so much popularity. And the debate became about what was evil, what was good, and who was responsible for the evil in the world. Was it European society? Was it these savages who were not educated in the European way, as the other side would say? That's not my decision to make, and I'm sure you have your own reservations about it. But what I need you to understand to go into the next segment is that the idea that Western society is alone the one evil and has corrupted the world. It's not something new. It's not some pipe dream that came out of the 1960s from some college student who had smoked a little bit too much. In fact, 
it comes from all the way back in the 1700s. And it's a story about history. It's a story about who we are as a race and why mistakes over and over throughout history happen again and again. History has no mercy on sleepwalkers. And I'm going to show you exactly how the ideas of the academics trickle down to us, the common folk. Come on back in segment two and I'll explain exactly what I mean. Just wanted to let you know that this is brought to you by Ohio National. Ohio National, life changes will be there. Welcome back to the Crime of the Century podcast. You know, I'll never forget the story. It always stuck with me for whatever reason. And the story was told to me by a pastor, in fact, and naturally he presided over weddings, and many of them. But there's one that he'll never forget, and vicariously myself, I will never forget. I'm not sure exactly what year it was, but I'm assuming the mid to late 90s, and this cute couple was getting married in upstate New York, and like a traditional wedding, everyone was quiet and silent in the church, and the two had said their vows. Of course, there was a screaming kid or two, but that's common at many weddings and social gatherings. What's not common is having one of these kids run up the aisle, grab that carpet, and run back to his parents. He could. Who was stopping him? Certainly the parents didn't get up. They laughed. It was funny. I mean, look at this little guy go. He's, he's three years old, running up and down the aisles with carpet in tow, messing up the church, messing up the look of the wedding, doing whatever he can. Now, how does this relate back to the noble savage? How does this relate back to multiculturalism? How does this even relate back to how we govern and teach our kids? Well, what was the parents' reaction? The parents' reaction was to laugh. It was even to say... Well, what are we going to do? we got to let him be a kid. He's a kid. we got to let him do what children do. And this is exactly what I mean. This is what Diderot was talking about. He said, because the noble savage is pure and closer to God, rather than enforce any kind of belief on him, we should let him be. And in fact, Diderot's counterpart, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, took this one step farther when it came to raising his children. Of course, he had given his children away in an orphanage against his wife's wishes, but he was also the best suited to write the academic piece on how to raise a child. And he decided that the best thing to do is let the child discover for himself or herself life as they saw it. And so standards that the parents had grown up with should not be enforced on the child. That would be evil. That would be forcing ourselves upon them. And let's look at how the academics view the world today. The, the U.S. and the churches and the evil Westerners should never impose their beliefs on anybody else. That We should respect and allow other cultures and races to view the world as they see fit and not infringe upon that. And at the risk of sounding like some sort of bigot, that's, and that's not what I am 
proposing that that we go out and cram it down somebody's throat but to understand where we came from is essential so that we can harden our own position and who we are see because that's just the issue it's not so much ourselves imposing our values it's understanding our values and why we believe the way we believe that's what makes us efficient as a country not for the sake of some sort of pie in the sky respecting someone else especially when the other the other side doesn't necessarily show you the same respect and neither do these academics and when I was in school when I was learning and when I was force-fed these ideologies in the public school system and in the collegiate system more or less this is exactly what I had to do I had to stand by and let somebody else speak on hours about the wonderful blissfulness of, of, of their own culture and as wonderful as that is we could never say anything about what made the US culture great now we could say anything we wanted about what made it look bad and that's just the thing these academics seem to get a kick out of being the anti-nationalists being the anti-United States and pro as they call the little guy but what did this create for somebody for many academics that have never even traveled outside their own state let alone another country do they know what they stand for do they know their and understand their own country and their own history and this is why the topic of history is more important not just for storytelling but for understanding who we are and why we are and why we believe what we believe yet as a student who took history and many history courses it wasn't until my 20s that I even understood why the Constitution really existed I was not given this in the public school system I was certainly just by chance given it in the collegiate system yet because of the idea of multiculturalism and through that the idea of political correctness we cannot speak about our own views in case it might offend and infringe on someone else and unfortunately the ones who face a brunt of the blame is the other but really who should be getting the blame for what I feel is robbing this country from the inside out is the academics because nobody I would argue in my own generation very few understand why the Constitution exists and understands the uh, the ideologies of the founding fathers because we've gotten to a point now where we can't talk about that because it's evil and it's bigoted and it infringes on somebody else's right to never hear anything else about another culture that's well, just self-destructive isn't it because at the same time you're demeaning and demoting your own culture to prop up another culture what what happens to yours can't you say you're part of a small minority group in that culture but that's not what it's looked at see we're the bad guys we're the the evil we're we're the boogeyman who disregard the noble savage and I'm sure watching the news for any length of time on any world event you can see the lens from which these elites look at the world yet 
the destructive part about it, the heinous part about it, is we are losing who we are as a country. And in segment three, I'm going to tell you exactly how we are losing ourselves as a country. I believe most of us are going broke attempting to pay for a second right education. And how is this possible? Well, that I explain in 47 pages. Amazon says it's worth 12, but I tell you what, just for you, I'm going to sell it to you for 10 with an MP3 included on my new site, kevinprendeville.com. Link in the description. Go ahead, check it out. 10 bucks for an MP3, five podcasts, and the crime of the century. When I mean we're losing an entire generation, I don't mean just one, but the success of generations after that. I believe that multiculturalism, which spawns out of the idea of the noble savage of the 1750, is rotting our country from within. And we may lose the battle, we may lose the war with the politically correct far left, and they will never have fired a shot. See, because we don't even remember where our, why our Constitution exists. Because now our idea is, well, if you're, if you're religious, especially a Western religion, oh, you can't say anything about that because you might be infringing on somebody's right to not ever hear about it because they believe differently. Or we have this idea that the Constitution is written by the government to dictate to the people what they can and cannot do, not the other way around. See, I never realized, not until I was 20 years old, that the Constitution was not written for them. It was written for me and you. And that we, the people, have a voice and the right to tell the government what it can and cannot do. Yet that has not been taught, and has not been taught for years. It was not taught to me, and it was not taught to anybody younger than me, and maybe even older. And see, that's an issue. It's an issue when hundreds of thousands of students no longer know why the Constitution was even written. Of course they see it as an old document. You see photos, people in Antioch, Tennessee, ripping down the flag. What do they care? It's not their flag. They belong to a small group, smaller, quote-unquote, oppressed group. And no, it's not the color of their skin or what they believe. It's the group that they've been designated as by an elite by an academic mindset. What should bring us all together is the ideals of freedom, liberty, and a strong constitutional republic. Yet we're told everywhere by the mass media, by the academic institutions, that we're a democracy, that the majority rules. Well, if the majority decide to jump off a bridge, would you too? See, that's the difference between a republic and a democracy. The democracy cares nothing about the individual and the republic while acknowledging the majority have a right to say what they believe, the individual too has a mind greater than that of many. And see, that's lost. That's been lost. And how this is possible is simply by the fact that we're not teaching why anymore. We're simply teaching in public school systems to simply get the students out into college so that they can amass as much debt as possible and so they could pretty much learn, for the most part, 
a useless ed education that only serves to have them forget why they're here. And if you forget what you stand for, can't someone else decide what you stand for for you? If you don't know why your values are the way they are, if you have a warped sense of freedom and liberty, can't you stand for something else? See, I believe this is the direction we're going. I believe that there are many students today who don't understand why this country was founded and don't understand the struggle that it took our founding fathers to go through. And we're told not to because it's out of respect for another culture. It's out of respect for the wider world. But what kind of respect is that? You go to these countries that we're supposed to be respectful of and they don't care that you're an American. They care about themselves. They care about their own country. They care about respecting that and to them all credit because that's what we should be. We should understand why we're here. We should understand what makes America the greatest country in the world and we're not allowed to anymore. We're not allowed to because it's a gain for somebody else. It's a gain to be able to divide us up into small groups and tell one group that the other is oppressing them. Tell them it's the other. Don't look at the academics. Don't look at the elites. Don't look at what we're doing. Look at that other group. And that's where we stand. Is that we have gotten into the mentality, the idea that everybody is this own little group that needs to be respected. And it stems all the way back to 1750. It stems all the way back to the academics of that day. This is not new, and nothing is new. We've gone through this before. In fact, Europe went through this in the 1880s, and it spawned a horrific social Darwinistic approach. Now, we're not going to go that way, I hope, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. See, history doesn't necessarily run in parallels, but it repeats itself. It's cyclical. And so... All we have to do to solve this issue is go back. Look at what our forefathers did. Look at what our, our, our fathers and our mothers did. And we can solve any issue that comes ahead. So what I believe is the best thing to do is not to disregard anything and anything that isn't American but understand at the core of it what it means to be part of this country, to have respect, to be a citizen of this country, and to have the rights that are granted to us, not by any government, but the higher power. It's he who gives us our right to freedom of speech. It's he who give us our, gives us our right to bear arms. It's he who gives us what is laid out in the Bill of Rights. But see, it's not very beneficial for the elites have you recognize that because if you knew that you would listen to your own heart and yourself and what you're told to do and your mission in the world which is greater than theirs but it doesn't serve their purpose and so if they can make us forget why we're here and who we are won't we adopt somebody else's beliefs somebody else who perhaps doesn't believe in liberty and freedom and the rights of the individual this is why I believe this is the crime of the century. This is why I believe so much of what we've been taught 
is built on someone else's agenda. I believe I've been lied to and I believe you've been lied to. And I will never stop delivering the truth. I appreciate you watching Crime of the Century. If this at all made you any if feel any kind of emotion, I'm going to need you to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit any kind of button that lets me know what you're feeling. All right, we'll be back with Crime of the Century podcast number three.